Well, it's my privilege to uh, open up God's Word to you this morning. I want to do that. Um, if you want a, a title of the sermon, it's Running the Race with Endurance. This morning I want to look at how to run the Christian life all the way to the very end with endurance. And um, before we pray, I want to read our passage of Scripture. If you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let me read them uh, this morning to you. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning with my brothers and sisters. Opening up your word. And Father, we we need you to show up this morning. To teach us, to guide us, to instruct us. To be the one to change our hearts and transform us into the people that we're going to read about here, the people that you desire for us to be. Father, I'm never more mindful of my weakness and my inadequacy than when I'm standing uh, before your people, but I just pray that you would uh, go before me and that you would just reveal your glory in this passage. We thank you that you're so faithful to us and that you love us so much, Lord. We just pray for this time that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you um, have seen the movie or heard about the movie Chariots of Fire. It's the story of Eric Little, a Christian athlete from Scotland who had trained for the men's 100-meter race uh, in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. However, early on, he found out that the race that he was entering into would take place on a Sunday. And he withdrew himself from what was his best event, refusing to run against his conscience and his personal convictions. And instead, he turned his attention to the men's 400-meter race, a race that he had really not trained very much for and wasn't strong at at all. The amazing thing was that on Friday, July 11th, 1924, in Paris, Eric ran the 400-meter race And he won the gold medal, finishing a full five meters ahead and setting a new world record of 47.6 seconds. This is the life of Eric Little that many of us are familiar with. However, Eric ran an even greater race. Born to missionary parents in China and raised in Scotland, he had a burden and a heart for the Chinese people. And his desire after the Olympics was to forego what could have been more of an athletic career, fame, fortune, all the things that might have come his way because of his abilities, and instead turn himself to serve the Chinese people as a missionary and a teacher, which he ended up doing. In 1937, Japan invaded China. And by 1941, the situation in China was so intense, so dangerous. And yet Eric Little, though he could have left, he, he chose to stay on to continue to run, to give it his all. Uh, And in 1943, he was imprisoned in a internment camp. Uh, And there he he didn't get down. He didn't didn't lose his focus, but he continued to be a source of encouragement and comfort to his fellow prisoners. 
He ministered and just, just ran his race to the very end for Christ. And silently, without even complaining, he began to battle headaches that would eventually be an inoperable and fatal brain tumor. February 21st, 1945 was the last day of Eric's lifelong race for Jesus Christ. And I love this story of Eric Little because it reminds us, as does our passage this morning, that life is a race. God's given us a race to run, each and every one of us. And he said, I have set this race before you. In fact, look at the passage, verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. And God's desire is that the race that he's given to us from the moment of conversion all the way to the finish line, the ticker tape, at our death, our last breathing moment, would be run for his glory. And by running, what, what, what is being communicated here is the, this exerting of yourself to, to your limit at every second, every moment for him. That you would use all of your abilities, your talents, your resources, your time, all of your energies, all of your person to live for his glory, to do everything for him, to do the good works that he prepared beforehand that you would walk in, to make much of him and accomplish all these things for him, experiencing the joy while you do it, so as to bring him glory, so as to see no wasted moment. That's God's desire for us, that we would run. We've been, we've been studying in Romans that we used to run that way. Many of us used to run that way in, in, in regards to our sin. And we learned in Romans that we are to run just like we ran before, but now towards Christ, now for Christ and for his glory and for our good. You know, Eric's story is also attractive because uh, it's a story that I, I personally just need to hear. I need to hear these kinds of stories because I'm a quitter. And I've always been a quitter in my life. From quitting sports in school when it got too hard to, to quitting things. Just at, at any point when things got too difficult for me to handle, I could just quit. In fact, when I got married, in the first few months of marriage, I wanted out because it was just too hard. And, and that's been my life. And so when I see a story like this, when, when I look at a passage like the one we're going to look at this morning, it encourages me to keep going. And I know that I'm not alone, that there are, there's going to be times for every one of us. There's times for even some of you right now that you're going through right now. Where you're, you're being tempted to quit. You're, you're being tempted to turn around. To, to go back where you were before. Where, where it's comfortable. Where it's familiar. Whether it's because of trials and struggles that you're going through in life. Or, or just because you're distracted by the things, that, the temporary attractions of this world. Some of us have even forgotten that we're even in a race. And, and the, the readers that the writer of Hebrews is writing to... These Christians were in the same boat. Turn with me to chapter 10, verse 32, because that's where our context begins. And listen to him. These guys were running. Listen to how they had ran. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. These, these folks, these believers had endured persecution that you and I haven't even tasted yet. And, and they were enduring and they had run and they had, and they had been running well. But they were, some of them were reaching a point where the, the attraction to go back to Judaism was, was very appealing. They were getting tired. They were being tempted to stop running and start walking. And some of them were even curled up, sitting or lying in a fetal position. 
And, and what, listen to what the writer says. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised for yet in a very little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. And the message is clear. We who have believed in Christ, we need to keep running. And what we need in order to do that to the very end, to the finish line, is we need endurance. And what endurance is, is it's perseverance. Literally, the word means to bear up under something. And as we run through life and as we encounter the things that God puts on our path, we're going to have to bear up under them as we plow through them running. And the temptation is to think that, oh, if I could just get out from under this and go over there, I'd be so much happier. Life would be so much easier. If I could just get back to where, 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 where things were better, it, it's over there, not here. But endurance is perseverance. It's believing, it's trusting that what you're running through, what has been put on your path is the best thing for you. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you have endurance, you can run to the finish line. In fact, we need to be running with this endurance. And so this morning... What we're going to get from verses 1 to 3 are four keys to running the Christian life. When he's going to, the writer of Hebrews is going to show us how we might obtain that endurance so that we never stop. We never walk again. We never get distracted or pull over from the race. No marathon or no runner is doing that. He's, he's focused on the race. He's running. And yes, he might be tempted to slow down, but he presses on putting one foot in front of the other. And so our passage is going to show us four keys to running For some of us, that running means we're going to enter into full-time ministry or go to the mission field. For others, it means we continue where we are, where God has us, whether that's in the home and laboring over over our children, loving them and and, and nurturing them in the home, whether it's working a job that some of us may not like or ever thought we would do, whether it's dealing with some of the trials that are going to come our way. Whatever it is, God wants you to run your race and run it hard all the way to the very end. In order to do that, we we need what we see here in Hebrews. And the first key... We need to hold on to the first key that's going to help us to get this kind of endurance is we need to see the faithfulness of God in the lives of other runners and we need to trust him to see us through. When you look around, you need to see God's faithfulness in those who have run the race before you and you need to trust in this same God to get you to the finish line. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run with endurance. We're surrounded by the text says, by a great cloud of witnesses. I want to read to you a description of the Badwater Ultramarathon. That name just sounds painful, doesn't it? The Badwater Ultramarathon. Covering 135 miles nonstop from Death Valley to Mount Whitney, California, during July in temperatures up to 130 degrees Fahrenheit, the Badwater Ultramarathon is the most demanding and extreme running race offered anywhere on the planet. The, the, the course covers three mountain ranges for a total of 13,000 feet of cumulative elevation gain and 4,700 feet of cumulative descent. This legendary event pits approximately 90 of the world's toughest athletes, runners, triathletes, racers, and mountaineers against themselves and the elements. And when, when, when we look at a race like this, um, I don't know about you, but... Uh, I just don't, there's no, there's no interest in entering this kind of race. 
Uh, and there's no, there's no way I think I could even finish this race, even some, if were someone to force me to run it. Um, but the reality is, and, and follow, me, follow me here, the reality is that the Christian life, the Christian race that God's calling you to run is way harder than this race. Way harder. Thank you for that encouragement, right? Um, no, just, just hang with me for a second. You see, these guys, they, they go for about 24 to 48 hours. That's what it takes to complete the race for the good guys. Um, but we run for days. We run for decades. We run for a lifetime. These guys have to uh, endure 130 degrees Fahrenheit dehydration, blisters, all this other stuff. But we daily do battle against the flesh. We daily have to struggle against a world system that seeks to conform us to its image. And we, we, we battle against Satan who's seeking to just wreak havoc and destroy and to make a mess of our lives. Whether it's our jobs, whether it's at home, whether it's in sickness, whether it's the loss of loved one, whether it's struggling and battling with unbelieving children, whatever our struggle is, wherever we're at, there's so many things that we encounter along the way in, in this race of life that this, this, this bad water ultramarathon is nothing in comparison. And here's what the author of Hebrews wants us to do. He says, don't look at the race. Forget the race. Don't, don't look there. What I want you to do is I want you to look at who you're surrounded by. All these people who've run the race before you and who made it to the finish line. And I want you to realize when you look at these people, this is what I want you to see. They were just like you. They were weak. They were sinners. They had no way. There was no way in and of themselves that they would ever make it to the finish line. That's what we're to see when we look at them. In fact, what he does in, in chapter, after, after the verses we read, he takes the believers, the, the readers, through chapter 11, through this, just, just one saint after another in the Old Testament, just showing them what, what, what these guys did. And, and we come to this passage, Hebrews 11, and we, and we go, wow, you know, this is the hall of faith, the hall of fame. This is where the, the superstars and the, the pro bowlers go. This is, this is, this is amazing. These are the, these are the top-notch athletes of the Christian life. We, we do the very opposite of what we're supposed to do with this passage, with this chapter. What we're supposed to see when we look into this chapter are weak people, messed up people. Yes, Abraham was, was willing to go and take his son and sacrifice him. Yes, he became the father of nations. But this same Abraham committed adultery as he, as he forgot the promises of God and, and, and said, I will go into my, my maidservant to produce an heir even though he's already promised that I would receive one. This same Abraham... Two times went to Egypt, knowing that God would, would make provision for him there, and lied about Sarah, his wife, saying that he was, she was his sister. Moses, yes, he did miracles in front of Pharaoh. Yes, he led the people out of the wilderness, out of Egypt, and through, through the wilderness into the brink of the promised land. But this same Moses was a murderer. This same Moses was weak. And when God called on him and came to him in the, in the wilderness, he, 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 couldn't, he said, I can't speak, Lord, I can't do anything, I can't lead anybody. He was a wreck. Even, even Rahab, who, is, who makes it into the very genealogy of Jesus Christ, got her start as a, as a pagan prostitute. When, when we look at Hebrews 11, we need to see people just like us. But more importantly, we need to see what they're doing. Because look what the passage says. We ha- we're surrounded by so great or such a multitude of witnesses. A witness, what a witness does, is a witness isn't just watching us in the arena as we're running our race going, yeah, good luck, hope you make it. No, a witness is testifying to something. A witness is saying something. And what all these people are saying is, is you need to see and trust this amazing God. Look at how amazing our God is. 
And that's what the whole passage is doing. It's by faith they did this. By faith they did this. These people ran the race. They got to the finish line, not because of who they were, not because of their abilities, but because of the one into whom they had entrusted themselves. It wasn't because they were amazing runners, because, but because they had an amazing God. And by faith, they believed in this God as he revealed things to them. As he said, I will get you from point A to point B. They trusted him to do that. They didn't put their faith in themselves to make it to the end, to run the race with endurance all the way to the finish line. They trusted in the one who was able to get them there. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is is wanting us to first and foremost see. Look, if you're going to run with endurance, then look at the people who have run before you. They're just like you. And what they're testifying to is the power is, is the power and the amazing ability of God to get you to, to, the, to the end. And not only are we surrounded by former racers like those in Hebrews 11, but we're surrounded by racers here. See, everybody who's here, who's put their faith in Christ, who's begun that race in this room, th- this is part of your cloud of witnesses. These are the people that as you run, you need to look to. And as you, as you see your brother and your sister and you're running with them, what, what you need to look at and, or see when you look at them is you need to see God's faithfulness. You need to see how your brother's making it and, he, and, he, and he's doing well because God is at work. And you need to see all the places that God is at work in you and in your life uh, and, and, and those around you and, and then trust him to do the same thing for you. And not only do you need to see current runners as an encouragement, testifying but you need to be one who will bear witness when you see your brother lagging behind he's getting tired or he wants to sit down he wants to take a break or he's getting distracted so that he even forgets that there's a race going on that he that he's been enrolled in a race you need need to get that brother or sister and you need to say you need to keep running trust in god to get you there When, when your brother or sister cannot imagine going another week or another day you need to testify. You need to be part of that cloud of witnesses that would surround that person and give testimony to the power of God to get you to the end. And this is the first key to running with endurance. This week I was thinking about us as men, especially as the leaders of our, our homes, that we would be the ones instilling, even to another generation, the need to not run in your own, in your own strength, but to run in the strength that he supplies, to look to the one who's able to get us all the way to the end. And, and to get us there where we can be running. So this is the first key. There's a second key. And that's get rid of anything that would hinder you from running for Christ. Get rid of anything and everything that would hinder you from running this race for Christ. For living the Christian life for him and for his glory. And maximizing every opportunity. Look at the end of verse 1. He says, Laying aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race. He says, as you run, what you need to do is you need to strip yourself. You need to get rid of anything that would hinder you from running. And and there's two things that he points to. Number one, encumbrances. And, And number two, sin. Let's start with the first one. Encumbrances, literally the Greek word for weight. Mass could be body weight. It could be something that you put on. But when, when, when runners run, especially marathoners or other people, they run, they, they strip down to, the, to just what they need and, and they, they get rid of anything that would hinder them. And what, what the writer has in mind here are things that could be good in of themselves or neutral, but, but because we hold on to them so tightly or because of the degree to which we embrace them, they're, they're slowing us down. They're distracting us. 
Encumbrance, then, is anything that would distract us from running or slow us down. And there's, there, there's countless things that could be this. Again, these things aren't, they're not, they're not things we should avoid or have to avoid necessarily, but, but the key is to evaluate to what degree or what role they play in our lives. Our career, our hobbies, sports, travel, leisure, comfort, technology. All of these things have the ability to become weight to slow us down from running for Christ. I think I've been thinking this week about Facebook, technology, blogs, all this stuff. We spend so much time on Facebook as Americans lately. And uh, Facebook's not a bad thing. I've been able to connect, share the gospel, do different things on Facebook. But, but just using that as an example, that the degree to which we embrace that, the degree to which we give our time and our energies and our passions to that, we need to be asking. Here's what we need to ask, no matter what it is, Facebook or anything else. You fill in the blank. You need to look at your own life, and you need to ask, is this thing, is it helping me to run faster and harder for Christ, or is it hindering me? Is it slowing me down? Is it distracting me? I think a lot of us um, are, are dealing with weight and, 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 and kind of approach weight the same way we, we might backpacking um imagine going on a week trip to the sierras like this guy uh this is what many of us are trying to do we're trying to run a race we're trying to 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 advance in the christian life but we're bringing everything we can with us we're not letting go of anything and so we have all this stuff and we, we can't live without the solar shower and the tv and the painting of the lighthouse by the ocean and all these things we want to hold on to and bring with us they're all good things they're all nice things probably some of them neutral and before you know it we're we're running a race with a 70 pound pack on and i can tell you that that going to the sears for a week like this isn't fun and if you think it's fun then you have a sick definition of fun what we need to be is instead of this, we need to be like ultralight backpackers. Over the years, I've gotten, I've gotten fascinated with ultralight backpacking. Because see, what these guys do is they, they lay their gear out before a trip and they, they just start looking at everything and they, they just whittle everything down to only what they need to take. They'll file the toothbrush down to this much so that, they, that that's all they need. They don't need the whole thing. They just need this much of it. Uh, you know, you don't need a spoon and a fork you just need a spork, okay? Um, even like a stove. I, I made this a couple years ago. This is, this is like a one-ounce stove. And so the, the Coleman, the, the big Coleman with the, you know, the, you cook the pancakes on and everything, you don't need that. You just need this. Uh, and these guys, they, they just look for every way. The, the, the six-pound tent, forget it. They go for with a, a five-ounce tarp. They, 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 they cut straps. They, they get rid of anything they can. This, this guy, Ryan Jordan, um, uh, just a real, real famous uh, lightweight backpacker. He can get a, a, you know, for a trip of five or six days, he can get his pack down to 11 pounds with food and water. Amazing. And, and this is the way we need to approach running the race. We need to look at the things in our lives, and we need to say, what needs to go? What, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to do less of? So that I am not hindered from running. Because in running, there's great reward. There's great reward. See, I think some of us are tempted to, to just walk through life. We're just tempted to walk, and it. it and, and, and uh, we wouldn't admit this, but here's the way we approach things. We say, you know what? If, if I just walk, I know I'm going to get to the finish line. So why, why don't I just walk? 
See, the, the problem with that is we don't understand the economy of running. There is an economy of running. There's a way that running works both here in this life now and in forever. And here's, here's the way it works. In this life, when you run hard for Christ, you gain things. A sense of satisfaction and pleasure and, and, and purpose. And there's, there's so much blessing bound up and, and reserved for the one who runs hard for Christ. Paul experienced that. Others have experienced that. I know that you at different moments have experienced that. So there's that aha moment where you're running, you're like, wow, oh, this is life. This is what it's all about. And you're tasting the goodness and the grace and just the, the abundance of, of living for Christ. But there's also an economy that has to do with, or a benefit that has to do with eternity. You see, how we run the race now, this, this very short life, how you run it, what you do with every second, every day, will determine what you experience in eternity forever. And I don't think we think about that as much. I don't, I don't, and I, it's just been blowing my mind this week that, that whatever few years I have on this earth, what I do here, how hard I go for the Lord here, will determine the blessing, the reward, the experiences, the level of several things that I don't even understand all of, of what, what, I'll, what I'll receive and experience there. Make, make no mistake about it. We, we only get into heaven because Jesus ran his race for us. But when it comes to reward, what you do in this life right now, with every second that God gives you, will determine what you experience forever. Forever. And, and what, the, 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 what, the, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is saying, run in such a way that you'll win and that you'll, with this endurance. And whatever would hinder you, whatever weight needs to come off, get rid of it so that you can run. And, and, and receive. There's another thing that we need to lay aside, and that is the sin. And here it's pictured as the sin that so easily entangles us. When I married Jennifer, I married into a, a, a family that enjoys having fun and, and, and playing games. And we were up in the mountains during July 4th, um, one, one summer, and we were doing a three-legged race. And so Jennifer and I, we we said, we're going to compete. We got, we got kind of uh, competitive, and we said, we're going we're to do this. We're going to win. And we ended up winning. Not just winning, dominating. <laughs> dominating, just like Eric Little, like five meters, like setting the world record. Although no one was there to really do the timing, so we're, we're, not, we're not sure. Um, but we, we think we probably did set a world record. But here's, here's, here's the way that the writer of Hebrews is, is wanting us to picture uh, sin. It's, it's like running a three-legged race. Not with Jennifer, but with, with sin. Okay, and here's what we need to picture. We need to see in, in Romans we've been we've been learning that sin is was our old master that it that it enslaved us that we were working for it that it was our old boss. So imagine running with your old boss this three-legged race. Okay, yeah, it, you know it's fun in an afternoon, but try to run the, the Christian life that way, and it'll get really hard. It'll get really hard. And this is the way we need to picture sin. You see, it's, it's that old boss, and he's hanging on to us, and we're tied up together. And he's like, oh, you know what? I want you. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. And you're trying to run because you, you, you understand this economy of running. You're, you're wanting to receive. You want to glorify God, and, and, and you're, you want to lay up treasure in heaven. And this old boss is saying, no, 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 let's go this way. Or let's go back. Come, come back and work for me. Come back and, 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 uh, and run, you know, run this way for me. This is, this is the way that, that sin is pictured, just tripping us up, seeking to distract us, seeking to, to turn us away from running the race, and even lying to us, saying, if we just went over there, you, you'd be so much happier. Your life would be so much better. And we've got to see running for the blessing and reward that it is, and, and, and to see sin is that what, it's keeping us away from that. 
here's this old boss, this old slave, this master that's saying, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to trip you up. I want to hinder you. And the way to, to cut the cord is just to, to, to leave sin behind. Literally, the verb, lay aside. Leave it, leave it alone. See, I think some of us are we're living the Christian life and we're struggling through it. And we're probably struggling, uh, like many of us, because life is hard. But, but some of us are struggling, and, and, and most of all of us are struggling, because we're trying to run this bad water ultra marathon with a 70-pound pack on with our old boss in a three-legged race. And, and you just can't do that. You're not going to get far. You're not going to be able to do what the, what, the, what the writer of Hebrews is calling you to do, to run with endurance. You might run for a little bit, but there's no way you could complete that marathon with that pack on strapped to your old boss. And what we need to do is start laying aside. When we do that, when we begin to put off and shed, we, we, there's, there's blessing and there's, there's an, this ease of running. Running becomes enjoyable and, and, and easier. So we need, if we're going to run with endurance, we need to get rid of anything Good, neutral, bad, that would hinder us from running the race for Christ. There's a third key, um, and that's keep your eyes on Jesus as your ultimate example and goal. Keep your eyes on Jesus as your ultimate example and goal. And this is found in verse 2. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, where, 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 you, where you focus your attention when you run, where you, where you focus your eyes, is so important to the runner. And, 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 and for many of us, we're just here. We're looking at the world. We're looking at the things that are distracting and, and pleasurable. And, and we're looking at ourselves. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, put your eyes onto Jesus. Literally, the verb is, look away from, fill in the blank, whatever, anything else and towards or into Jesus. Look away from anything else and into Jesus. Look to Jesus. And when we look at him, we need to see in him our greatest example and our ultimate goal. You know, the, 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 the people who who ran in, in chapter 11, Hebrews, even people who are, are in our midst right now, they're great examples. They're, they're good examples. Many of us are running the race so well, and, and we could look and, and, be, and find encouragement there, an example to look at. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, there is only one who is the ultimate example. Do you, you want to see how to run your life? you want to see how it works? Then look at Jesus Christ, because he ran the race perfectly. In fact, look at the first part of verse 2. It says, he is the author and the perfecter of faith. And that word author means trailblazer or leader or captain. Jesus wasn't the first to run the race, but in, in a sense he was in that he, he's the first to run it perfectly. And all who even ran before him looked to him as an example. And, and all those who, 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 who run after him have him as an example. Um... He's, he's, he's blazed a trail. He's, he's, he's made a path and left a wake for us to follow in. And we need to get in line with him and, and, and watch and study every way that he, that he ran and that he moved and that he thought. He is to be our ultimate example because he brought faith to perfection. He brought the, run, the race and running that race to, to perfection. And in that sense, he has left us with a perfect example. And look at how he did that. This is what we see when we begin to study 
Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, it's as if, as if we're comparing two things. In fact, the word, I love that word, despising the shame. See, on one hand, Jesus had the cross to endure. God put that in his path, and so Jesus was, had to go to the cross and through the cross, and in that cross was shame, that the God of the universe would come down and would be ridiculed and mocked and spit upon and made to hang naked on a cross, the God of the universe. That's the shame that's being talked about here. And, and, and Jesus, in one hand, he's looking at the cross that he's going to have to endure. He's looking at the shame and he's saying, compared to the joy that has been set before me, there's no comparison. There is no comparison. In fact, that's what, what the word despising means. He disregarded the definition to consider something not important enough to be an object of concern when evaluated against something else. You see, there was no, there's, there's no comparison. Jesus was looking at the joy set before him. And what was that joy? It was several things. Number one, that he, would, that he would bring glory to his Father. Jesus came to this earth and he says, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And his joy in, all, in every moment, in every waking moment, in every thought, the conscious thought, Jesus was committed to do that. In that way, that, that's an amazing example. And so he, he's committed to do this. And, 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 he's, and part of the joy is him bringing glory to God. Part of the joy is also that he would be reunited with, with God. He looked ahead of the cross. He looked on the other side of the cross. And what he could see as he was hanging there, he could see that soon he would be glorified, exalted, and back at the right hand of, God, of, of the Father in fellowship with him, enjoying him forever like he had for eternity past. And not only that, part of the joy included the fact that he would bring with him one day a host of people who would worship him, who would experience life with him, in whom he could have a relationship with forever. And, then, and all of the things that he would accomplish at the cross, that he would be glorified and exalted. All of that constitutes the joy, and probably much more. But, but the joy that was set before him in comparison to the cross, there, there was no comparison. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look at not, not, at all the, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In Romans 8.18, Paul has a similar thought. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I see, Paul understood what Jesus saw. When Paul looked at Jesus, he saw an example. He saw one who he could follow and emulate. And in Jesus, he, he, he saw the way Jesus thought, the way that Jesus approached the, his life, the way that he would look at the race versus all that he was going to gain from the race. And Paul said, this life, as hard as it is, the fact that I'm in prison, the fact that I've been beaten and stoned and, and almost killed and shipwrecked several times, all of this, honestly, is momentary light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits me. And see, that's one thing we need to, we need to think about when we're running. Because I know that, that there's moments where you're running where it just feels like it's never going to end. And that finish line is, is, is miles and miles and miles away. And, and what we need to think about is that when we get to eternity and we turn around and we look back, and even if we could really see it right even now, we would see that what looks like a huge, long, grueling marathon really was... It was just a 25-yard dash. It, it was here and it was gone in an instant. And all that we've received and all that we've benefited from because of it 
It cannot compare. You know, one of the things that helps me a lot when, when, I'm, when I'm tempted to just slow down, to walk, or to get distracted, to forget that I'm even in a race, is to think about eternity in that way. Because I think a lot of what we're trying to do a lot of times is we're trying to run our own race here. And part of the race is we're trying to accumulate all that we can here. I want to taste this. I want to experience this. I want to travel here. I want to do this. I want to accomplish all these things and do all this stuff. And some people do all, try to do all that before they get married. But it's, it's just this, this, this personal American dream or whatever you want to call it, just this ambition to live for self and to accumulate and to run that that kind of race. And one of the thoughts that helps me when I'm there and thinking that way, which often I can be, is I think about all that I will do in eternity, all that will await me there. Yeah, I may not travel and see Paris or another city that I've never been to, but, but when I'll see the Paris and the new heavens and the new earth, and, and it'll be way better than anything I'll travel to on my vacation here. Uh, you know, I, I may not be able to eat at this restaurant or do this, uh, these other things or enjoy this kind of vacation or whatever it is, but, but awaiting me in eternity will be those pleasures and even beyond what I could even imagine. And I'll experience and taste life even more than I ever could here. And, and, and I think that's what Paul would... What, that, these are the kind of thoughts that Paul had, definitely that Jesus had as they ran. They knew that what awaited them was so much better and that they just, so they just plowed through. They just said, I will run. I will, I will go crazy for the Lord here. And I will receive, I will receive so much better. Well, Christ is not only to be our example, but look at the verse two. He's also to be our goal. You see, when, when you're running, you're running to something. When you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, you're to fix your eyes on, not just on him as your example, but him as your ultimate goal. Your, your ultimate goal. He is to be your ultimate joy, your satisfaction, the purpose that you even exist and live and breathe. And he, he should be the passion of your heart. In, in John fifteen eleven, Jesus, after talking and explaining about the importance of abiding in him, of experiencing him, of being in a relationship with him, he says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You see, the psalmist understood what Jesus was talking about. In Psalm 16, 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life. You want to know what life is? You want to know what life in living is? Here it is. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, as we run, we're not just running for what we're going to get in eternity, but we're running to get to the one who awaits us there, and that's the person of Jesus, our treasure. I love what Piper says. He says, Believing, believing means trusting in Jesus, not only as our all-sovereign Lord and all-sufficient Savior, but also as our all-surpassing treasure. Trusting in Christ as our treasure means seeing and savoring Him as a treasure. Christ is not our treasure if we do not treasure Him. And treasuring something means being glad to have it. Therefore, saving faith involves no less than being glad to have Jesus Himself for who He is. If Christ is to be glorified in his people, he says, their following must be rooted not mainly in his promised gifts or threatened punishments, but in his glorious person. And when you look at Jesus as you're running your race, what you're trying to do is you want to get to him. You want to get to him as fast as you can because it's there, being with him, that there will be fullness of joy. He is the treasure. He is the gospel. And, and it's not wrong to run for the rewards that we'll get and to, and to realize that what, what we have, what, 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 is, what, he, what lies here for us is, doesn't compare to what awaits. 
But part of that, and the greatest thing that we're running for, is to get him, to get Jesus. And so when you look at Jesus, as you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, as you look away from everything else and you focus on him, what you should see is not only your example, the one to come in line with and the one who's blazed the trail and give you a perfect example of faith and of running the race, but you're to see in him your ultimate goal, your ultimate treasure. Well, there's a final key that will help us to run with endurance, and that is to contemplate Jesus and how he ran for you. We need to contemplate Jesus and how he ran for us. Look at verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul in Philippians 3.18, he speaks of treasuring Christ and of the desire to know him. Listen to what he says. He says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ and may be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. See, Paul says, look, I, 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 I value Christ more than anything else. In fact, the loss of everything is, is no big deal for the, for, in exchange for the value of of knowing him and being found in him. And verse 10, my desire is that now I would really know him, relationally know him and understand him more, both the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look at the cross, consider this one and what he's done for you. Look at the gospel that's, that's here contained even in verse 3, that he endured such hostility by sinners against himself. You see, part of that, the, the, the verb to consider, it's from the Greek word analogizomai, which is where we get our English word analogy. We're, we're to see, we're to look at Christ's sufferings, and, and, and Paul sought to do that as he, as he even experienced his own sufferings. And what Paul came to the conclusion of is, is just like Jesus weighed, Paul weighed them, and he said, Christ's sufferings are so much more intense, so much more deep than anything I've suffered. Anything I've suffered. And that, 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 that can comfort us Here's Jesus who suffered infinitely more than any of us ever have suffered. Even those who have given their life for Christ in the past, even though they died, they paid their ultimate price, they, they did not endure the wrath of God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, look at verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Not internal sin, but external sin. He says, as you've, as you've, as you've encountered sin against you, it hasn't resulted in your death. But look at the one who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. And, and as you do that, see the sufferings of Christ, that they're so much greater than yours. And, 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 and then even going back to thinking about how, how lightly Christ regarded them. It helps us to put our sufferings in perspective. But there's something even deeper that, 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 that plummeting the depths and, and contemplating the, the sufferings of Christ helps us to do. Because when we look at the sufferings of Christ, what we're coming face to faith with, with is his love. We realize not only the depths and extent of his suffering, but we realize that we were the cause of his suffering. Because not only did he endure such hostility for us, but because of us. We were the ones, we were these sinners in verse 3 that caused him to endure such hostility. And when we contemplate the love of Christ in the gospel, we realize that he ran not only for himself, but he ran a race for you and for me, despite all the things that we had done to him. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. 
And, and the goal of, of, of getting to that place where you see the love of Christ and you come face to faith with, face with it is, is that the hope is that, that you would begin, that, that, that a volcano of love in your own heart, a response in your own heart and soul would begin to erupt as you, as you come face to face with this kind of love. You see, this, love is the greatest motivation for running the race, period. I not only run because I want to get to Christ, but I run and I go through anything he puts in my path because I love him and because he died for me. Because he ran for me, I will run for him. It's all summed up in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We look at the race that, that, that he ran. We look at, we contemplate, we consider the sufferings that he endured because of us, for us. And in that we see his love and in that we're motivated and we're saying, Lord, you ran for me, I will run for you. Where do you want me to run? What do you want me to do? I will run. You see, we, we, I could try to motivate you out of fear, out of guilt, out of duty, out of tradition. But ultimately, all of these motivations will lead to the end of verse 3. You will grow weary. You will lose heart. You will want to quit. Fear only takes you so far in the race. Guilt only gets you so far in the race of life. And duty is a bad, bad motivation. But if you look at the sufferings of Christ, if you're motivated by those, by, by, the, by the sufferings and by the love that you see bound up in his, in his suffering, and if that causes within you a love to well up so that you're running because you love him, you can get to the finish line without slowing down, without being distracted, running with every second of your being to the finish line. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to do in considering him. These are just four keys to running with endurance, but it, we, we just, many of us need that even right now. As we close, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, I want you to just, just, just evaluate your own heart, your own life. Some of you in this room, you, you're not even in the race. You've never embraced Jesus Christ. You've never trusted in him and what he did in his race to the cross to get there. And you need to come to him. You need to put your faith in him. You need to say, I want you, Christ. I want you to be my treasure and I want to run to you and I want to run for you. And some of us that have been Christians for, for, for years and even decades, we're, we're being tempted even right now to slow down, to walk. Or we're so distracted by the things around us. We're, we're wearing that 70 pounds of, of unnecessary weight. and we're, we're, Our eyes are on ourselves instead of on Christ. And Christ is saying, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, look at everybody around you. Trust in Christ. Lay everything aside. Look at Jesus. Consider what he's done for you. And run for him. Run to him with endurance for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for these encouragements that we can run, that it is possible, that others have run before us, that Jesus is the one that ran the race so that we could even get to the finish line and enjoy all that awaits us there, including and above all you, Lord. Lord, help us to run in such a way that we would win, in such a way that there's no wasted moments, there's no regrets. Think of the end of the movie Schindler's List where he was crying over all the wasted money and cars and the things he'd bought and all that it could have done. Lord, we don't want to get to eternity and then look back at our lives, look back at the race that we ran and see and feel such regret for wasted moments and wasted opportunities, Lord. Help us to run in such a way that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.